Welcome to Dialogue Out Loud. I'm Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought. This is our third year bringing you audio stories and personal voices from the pages of our quarterly journal. And this year, we're excited to showcase new pieces from writers such as Katie Ludlow Rich, Megan Armconnect, Taisha Osler, and more. We couldn't do it without support from our listeners and subscribers. So we just want to say thank you. If you'd like to hear more great audio content like this, go to dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts. Enjoy. A Woman Here by R.R. I try to strengthen my relationship with my Heavenly Mother, but I'm not always sure how. Some days I sing, Heavenly Mother, are you really there? And do you hear and answer every child's prayer? But I always get stuck on the word prayer because Gordon B. Hinckley said we shouldn't pray to our Mother in Heaven, which I struggle with. Why not? Does praying to the goddess somehow take away from my relationship with Heavenly Father? Why talk with one parent but not the other? It doesn't seem right. These questions usually lead me down a road of cognitive dissonance with two main signposts. Listen to prophets, and where's the female authority on Heavenly Mother? I wonder what praying to her would look like in the first place. Is reaching out with my heart too prayer-like? If it is, how then do I honor her? By honoring womanhood, I think some would answer. What does that mean? I would respond. What does that look like? Getting married and having kids? Dressing feminine? Perhaps I should describe the beginning of my obsession or desperation for and with Heavenly Mother and womanhood. Back before my older brother with glasses pushed up his nose, uncomfortable expression twitching on his face, said I couldn't use the word frick, which I learned from him, because girls don't talk like that. Before I asked my dad what the purpose of women would be if we couldn't have children, and he responded, there wouldn't be one. As he fired up the computer, so nonchalant, so every day is this way attitude. Before, my mom tentatively suggested that my depression started with that disease, irresistibly attributed to women in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, lack of husband and children. But now that I think about it, now that I've listed it out, I can't really find a beginning. Maybe my musings on feminine deity kick-started during my undergrad years. As an English major, I took an American literature class where we read The Yellow Wallpaper, and my professor described how one of the characters, John, treats his wife like a baby, but becomes a baby in the end. Words like hypocrisy, 
feminism, and double-edged sword rooted to the tip of my tongue. Finally, I could attempt to describe the culture machine, grounded in patriarchal traditions and misguided gendered belief systems that spun out phrases like, girls can't and women should. I hit a breakthrough or breaking point a few years ago when I visited my parents in Florida, where they served an 18-month mission. Their apartment was modest with a wide window exposing a dark blue lake. Mom, Dad, and I sat at a long wooden table in the small dining room. I don't remember how the topic came up, but we discussed women in the workplace. Dad declared that women should not be in the workforce because they tempted the men. My jaw dropped in shock. I wasn't shocked when a few months back I had driven down a windy lane with my parents, them in the front seats, and me in the back, and my dad said he was pretty sure Elder McConkie said in the millennium men would have multiple wives. My mom, glancing at me in the rearview mirror, with an edge to her voice said, he's excited for that, to which my dad didn't respond. I wasn't shocked when I told my dad while he watched TV, his feet propped up on the couch, that my friend was thinking of getting a PhD, and he said, I think she should get married. The two options mutually exclusive in his mind. I wasn't shocked when my dad watching a movie where a woman was raped said, well, duh, don't go down the dark alley, you idiot. And I wasn't shocked when my sister told me that dad thought the only engineers he worked with who were women were idiots. But being in the dining room with my parents, my father blaming women for men's inability to control themselves shocked me. I don't think it was the sexism that shocked me. It was when he decided to explain his meaning and give an example of when he was tempted by other women. And he said this in front of my mom. He attended a work conference where he'd met ladies who were mighty friendly to him and his coworker. Together, my dad and his coworker had decided the women wanted to be invited to my dad's and his coworker's hotel rooms. My dad told my mom and I he was awfully glad someone else was with him when he met these ladies because in his words he would have been mighty tempted if by himself i felt myself go stiff at this revelation partly in shock partly in horror mom stared at the floor i waited for her to say something say something anything she didn't. I decided my mom wasn't surprised by the story, but I was, and I didn't know what to say. Welcome to Bristlecombe Firesides, casual conversation around a virtual fireside where we discuss faith, the earth, the universe, and everything. We are your hosts, Abby and Madison. The central question we ask each other, as well as poets, artists, activists, and other guests around our virtual fireside, is what does it mean to belong to the earth? So if you've ever wondered how to reground your faith and spiritual practice in the stuff of the earth, this is the podcast for you. 
catch up on previous seasons by subscribing to Bristlecone Firesides on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. From the Aspen Mountains, Juniper Forests, Red Rock Deserts, and Salty Lakes of Utah, we wish you peace and goodness as you strive to find yourself in the family of the earth. Dialogue Podcast Network. These are only a few examples from my life. I've made it a personal mission to collect stories from close friends. Stories of wives with cheating husbands, stories of rape, the story of a close friend who, as a teenager, was sexually assaulted at a youth activity. The solution to the sexual assault that her parents and the bishop came up with was that in the future, she should wear different clothing. These are stories I think need to be shared with the world, but they are not my stories to share. Instead, I'll share about the time I went to the doctor for chest pains, and he told me that women in particular tend to get anxious, which can cause chest pains. Come to find out, my allergies were affecting my lungs. Or the time an elderly gentleman stood at the pulpit during sacrament and said, Young women, when you dress immodestly, it's not only the young men you attract. Or the time a guest speaker at a young women's activity told us that immodest girls were like unwrapped candy bars. Irresistible. I started to understand the power of women when a friend in grad school told me about Mother's Milk, a book of poetry about Heavenly Mother by Rachel Hunt Steenblick. His suggestion sent me on a hunt for any literature referencing mother. I found A Mother There, a survey of historical teachings about Mother in Heaven by David L. Paulson and Martin Polito. Paulson and Polito gathered important historical accounts that cast serious doubt on the specific claims that first, a sacred silence has always surrounded this treasured Mormon doctrine, Heavenly Mother, and that second, Heavenly Mother's ascribed roles have been marginalized or trivialized. Their research shares accounts from apostles, prophets, and other church leaders who describe Mother in Heaven as a procreator and parent as a divine person, as a co-creator of worlds, as a co-framer of the plan of salvation with the Father, and as a concerned, loving parent. I love finding these accounts of Mother, but I'm disappointed that the authors of A Mother There, and most, but not all, of the sources they cite to discuss the goddess are men. The great irony of my life is that most of my understanding of women, women's roles, women's purposes, and the ideal woman has been shaped by men, whether sexist or feminist. Male family members helped shape my own sexist views of women, my professors, my friend who first talked with me about Heavenly Mother, and Paulson and Polito helped shape my view of feminism and the goddess. When learning from and listening to these men, I wasn't bothered that they were men, but I am now. Why do men have the market on defining women? And why did I believe that men have the market on defining women? Why did I ask my dad what the purpose of women would be 
if they couldn't have kids instead of my mom. I think part of the reason lies in the fact that the sources members of the church most trust are, by default, men, namely prophets and apostles, but also any priesthood leader. Would my friend who was sexually assaulted during a youth activity have been blamed for the attack if the ultimate authority in her ward had been a woman instead of a man, the bishop? My questions in and of themselves hold a certain irony. I can't talk about women without talking about men. The word woman comes from wife and man. Inherent in the word females use to describe themselves is the word male. Not so for man, which has Germanic roots to mean human being or adult male human being. With this confusing, often contradictory understanding of women, how do I define myself? Or at least understand myself? After learning about mother and realizing the irony of learning about her from men, I was angry. But I'm not angry now. Not that this won't change tomorrow, but in this moment, I just want to know my mother. I want to dissuade the misunderstandings that surround her. I want my sister, who emphatically told me during a Come Follow Me lesson hosted by my parents, no, no, we think of her as so sacred. We respect her. Heavenly Father respects her so much, we don't talk about her, to know she can talk about mother. I want my brother, the same one who cautioned me against using frick and who agreed with my sister, adding that his institute teacher, another male authority, told him Heavenly Mother was too sacred to talk about, to know he can love and respect our mother as much as our father. He can teach his daughters to love and respect themselves and to know one day they will be goddesses, co-creators, co-framers, women defined by whatever can possibly define a god. What I do know is that I can't and won't try to define everything about the goddess in this one essay. The understanding her will take as much study, struggle, patience, and joy as understanding Father does. The frustrating thing is that I don't know much about Heavenly Mother. Sometimes I'm still genuinely asking, but Mother, are you really there? I try to understand her by studying the imperfect accounts we have, but I struggle to imagine what she'll look like. And honestly, I don't always want to try to imagine. I want to step over the trap of creating the goddess in my image and instead leap into her arms. But the more I look outside of myself, the more statuesque she becomes. Sculpted, frozen, a Greek goddess created by man. So I've chosen to believe in Heavenly Mother and to believe in her is to believe her power and authority. It's to believe in the power and authority of women. I'm looking to my own intuition now. I'm trusting my own wisdom 
and believing that my frustrations with women being defined by men is genuine. That wanting and needing to commune with my mother is okay. I'm choosing to believe in and just believe women. That feels divine. I don't want to ask anymore. I want to declare, Mother, you really are there. And when you do fully reveal yourself, whether that's on Judgment Day or the Second Coming, or whenever the all-will-be-revealed day is, I selfishly, sexistly hope you come to your daughters first. She has a bachelor's in English from Brigham Young University, Idaho, and an MFA from Brigham Young University. RR has published work in Segula and Inscape. Currently, she works as a junior high English and creative writing teacher. When she's not teaching or reading, she likes to mull over her insignificance in the universe and contemplate how the divine feminine impacts her thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Dialogue Out Loud is produced by the Dialogue Foundation, a registered 501c3 with support from Mary Thieves and Salton Studios. Our executive producer is Taylor Petrie. Our content manager is Emily Jensen, and Adam McLean does our social media. Music and editing by Daniel Foster Smith. To find more great audio content like this, go to dialoguejournal.com. And while you're there, consider donating. Thank you. Hello, this is Andrew Hall, co-host of the Dialogue Book Report. Each episode, Christina Rossetti and I talk to brilliant minds from the world of Mormon publishing. In recent episodes, we sat down with Christine Hagland and Terrell Givens to discuss the life and legacy of Eugene England. In upcoming episodes, we will be talking to novelist and 19th century women's rhetoric scholar Rosalind Eves about her recent young adult novel, Beyond the Map Stars, and the literature and religion scholar Charles Inouye about his memoir, Zion Earth, Zen Sky, and the Asian American experience within Mormonism. Subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And check out our past episodes by going to dialoguejournal.com. Dialogue Podcast Network.